Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 and verses 4 through 7. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that so they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Bella, thank you very much. Very well read. And thank you, Tamara, and to all of our musicians. Such great songs. Every once in a while, I'll hear a song I really like, and I'll say, man, Tamara, I really want us to try this particular song, and we got to do Raise a Hallelujah today. I found that one, I discovered that one in, in Ireland and just had to bring it back, and I thought, I thought it was great, so thank you. I'm here to confess to you that I have a dog that's overweight. He has, a, uh, he has a little bit of a weight problem, and so every once in a while I have to go to the vet and get uh, some medication for a young baker. I noticed the last time I was there uh, that there was a, a little sort of a flip calendar there, <clears throat> uh, there in the vet's office there. It was a dog shaming signs calendar. For every day of the year, they had a different sign that they had draped around a dog or put next to a dog somewhere, tattling on the dog for having done something terrible. I brought some of my favorites with me today. Uh, so this one is, uh, I ate the toilet paper during a pandemic. <laughs> and I guess the thought is, if I, if I drape the dog in this sign, that he'll, he'll learn his lesson, right? Right. Here's one that says, I moo like a cow when my human is on business calls. <laughs> I stepped on your painting and tracked, it, tracked paint everywhere. That's terrible. You can kind of see a tiny little footprint on there. I ate a six-foot leash and had to have it removed by the vet. Three weeks later, I ate a shower curtain. <laughs> And I was especially interested to find this one because there's a website that goes by the same name. And this one says, I ate the dog shaming calendar. <laughs> Those are the remains right there. Lisa said it uh, today, and I'm glad she did. We're going to talk about it a lot um, today, and we're going to talk about it every week. Hopefully you know by now what I'm talking about. It's it's this phrase that we feel like is, is the, the central focus of our church and everything else that we do and everything else that we say orients around this central truth that God's mind about us is made up and the news is good. Does that mean then that we are guaranteed what we want? Does that mean that we are guaranteed safety security, does that mean that we no longer have to worry about consequences? Maybe even correction or even the judgment or even the wrath of God. We have used that language before as Dr. Tashin has helped us to work through the pages of the book of Revelation. I mean, does God shame us the way that we like to shame our dogs? I don't think so. I, I, I don't think that that's what happens. Sometimes we we shame ourselves, but I, I don't think that that's what God wants to do. But that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. We don't talk about this very much around here, and, and perhaps we should talk about it more often. 
But there are consequences when we don't live up to or into this covenant partnership with God. There are. One of the commandments goes something like this. You shall have no other gods before me. One that comes soon thereafter goes something like this. No graven images, nothing made out of wood, nothing made out of stone, nothing made out of a precious metal. So no graven images. And we've said this before too. And here's the reason that we, as a faith tradition, as a faith movement, here's the reason that we are not to have any sort of graven image. It's because we are meant to image God to the world. We are meant to be the means whereby somebody who doesn't know about God might know something about God. Yeah, imperfectly, I get it, right? But that's the dream. That's the plan. Friends, that's the agreement. That's the covenant. God says to us, I will be your God. We say back to God, we will be your people. But it's not just that we somehow belong to God like a possession while there's something to that. Beyond that, that is us saying, we will live up to and into that commandment that says, you shall have no graven images because we understand that we are to image you to the world. Now, when the people of God don't image the heartbeat of God to the world, friends, there are consequences. When we, and the we, obviously, is made up of several of us would understand ourselves as individual believers. So when we, each of us or all of us, don't live up to the expectations of that particular commandment, there are consequences. Are you saying that God is going to change God's mind about us? No. Parents, it's Kid Sunday. Hopefully you are sitting somewhere where you can see your kids so that you can do that thing. If they act up, you can kind of clear your throat. My mom had, a, had the capacity to clear her throat and I could hear it from a mile and a half away. I always said it a little bit straighter. Hopefully you can see your kids. My suspicion is that when you say to your child, I love you and there's nothing that you could ever do to change that, Hopefully, you understand and your child understands that that is not a get-out-of-jail-free card such that you can do whatever you want. Okay, I can go burn the house down now. I can go do whatever I want. I can never do math homework again. Amen. That's not what it means. Within the household, where there is stated and promised covenantal love, there might still be, in your household, consequences when the child doesn't live up to the high expectations that you have for him or for her, right? We say every week, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good, and still, over the years, we have lost people because of it. Because there are people who think that what we're offering when we say that, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good, they think what we're offering up is cheap grace. Oh, okay, so God's mind about me is made up and the news is good, so it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I decide. It doesn't matter how I, how I live. It doesn't matter how I embody this truth. It just doesn't matter if there are no consequences, but that's not what we're saying. That would not be true to Scripture. In fact, let, let me say it up front, and then we're going to spend the rest of the sermon unpacking it. There are consequences when we aren't living as the people of God. And those can be felt individually, or they can be felt by a whole group of people, like the church, or like ancient Israel. So what is not on offer here is cheap grace. We don't, we don't do cheap grace around here. Now, cheap grace versus costly grace, that is a, a conversation that we have been given by this guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian, in the years running up to World War II, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he pits cheap grace against costly grace. He says this, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. That is not what's on offer here. 
It is not a costly grace. It is not a cheap grace. It is a costly grace. And here's what he says about costly grace. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life, obviously a woman, a person. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. You, you can't read Jeremiah 29 and not recognize that God takes seriously when the people of God sin. What do you mean by sin? I mean when we fall short of being the very embodiment, the tangibility of the heartbeat and the call of God. So, let me put that on the table right here up front. How are you doing? How are you doing as you live your workaday life, as you live as a household, as you live as a functioning member of this particular body? Are you, am I, are we the tangible expression of the call of God? Are we the tangible expression of the heartbeat of God such that if someone were actually anxious to find out about this God that we sing about and pray to and talk about, would that person be able to look at us and know something about God? And, and here, and, and I know, I'm not the guy who does a lot with words like sin and judgment, and maybe I should more often. Maybe that's on me. So, so let me be clear, I think we can expect consequences if and when we don't live up to the calling to be the tangible expression of God in our world. And friends, that's more than just not doing the bad thing. It's more than just really good behavior. It's more than that. It's are we, as a people, caring for the folks on the margins? I don't know how to say this any more clearly. That is not extra credit faith. And your life, in one way or another, needs to demonstrate that it's not extra credit faith. The sin of the people of Judah that got them in trouble, the consequences that they now have to suffer, it's all because of this thing, and Jeremiah said it over and over and over again, you are not extending love, grace, care to the folks that need it the most, and that is how we understand God. Are you, I'm very busy, John, that's, I, not here. Are you, am I? Are we putting skin and flesh on the heartbeat of God in the odd ways that we live our lives? If not, there will be consequences. There are consequences for the people of Jerusalem. Somewhere around 598 or so, Babylon finally came to Jerusalem, broke through the walls and the gates, and started deporting, exiling people. They started with the most talented people first. <laughs> they started with the folks who'd actually benefit Babylon. Jeremiah was not in that first group. There were a lot of people left after the first group was whisked away to Babylon, and they were suffering. And even after the first wave was taken away, Jeremiah was saying, let's not forget why this is happening, and let's not forget that this is gonna be difficult, and let's not forget that we earned all of this. And so you can see why Jeremiah was decidedly unpopular. So unpopular then that there were other prophets who would come and say, now Jeremiah, calm down. <laughs> Jeremiah, calm down a bit. This one guy by the name of Hananiah said, wait a minute, God's mind about us is made up and the news is good, which means this is just a blip on the screen. This will all be over soon. Hananiah actually said this, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke 
of the king of Babylon. Here's what happened. Jeremiah would actually walk through the city wearing this wooden yoke, the kind that would be used to harness animals, right? But Jeremiah was, was wearing it around the city. This yoke that now was understood as a symbol of captivity, a symbol of judgment, the consequences, right? This tangible thing. He was walking around and saying to the city, we earned this, y'all, by not caring for the folks next door, by not caring for the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, we earned all of this. And Jeremiah, again, very unpopular Jeremiah, weird enough that he wasn't taken in the first group, was walking around. Hananiah had enough. And he said, look, speaking for God, or so he said, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, he said, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which the king of Babylon took away from this place and carried to Babylon. Verse 10, then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah and he broke it, very publicly broke it. And then Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people saying, thus says the Lord, this is how I will break the yoke of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon from the neck of all the nations within two years. And it says here that Jeremiah then went his way. Now, Hananiah had a point. And there was some historical merit to what he was saying, even if he actually misunderstood the narrative. According to the biblical story, in 2 Samuel 7, when David's attempting to build the temple, God says to David, you know, I so appreciate this. I am going to give myself to you, and you will always have a descendant on the throne in Israel. A hundred years prior, it was the Assyrians that had encircled Jerusalem. And somehow, they weren't really sure how, God shows up with a legion of very burly angels <laughs> and defeats Assyria without a shot being fired. Hananiah was drawing on those memories saying, listen, the God who did that stuff for us will turn a blind eye to these sins that Jeremiah is talking about. Yeah, we, should, we could have done better. But two years, this will all be over. Don't even unpack your bags. Verse 13, God says to Jeremiah, go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars only then to forge iron bars in place of them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put an iron yoke on the neck of all these nations so that they may serve King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. No, says God, the exile will happen. These are the consequences of infidelity, unfaithfulness. You unmade the world, said God. You unmade the world that you were given as a gift, and you have created this new reality. This will be costly. Interesting footnote, verse 17. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. So neither the false prophet nor the false prophecy of cheap grace would survive the exile. Jeremiah preaches a more faithful alternative, which Bella read for us so well earlier. Now, let me say this to you. Throughout my time when I uh, traveled and worked for the school and was writing students, and throughout the, the first several years of my ministry here, I used to all, I, I, I was the Jason Smith of those early years, and I wrote handwritten notes quite a bit, always punctuating them with this verse. Everybody know which verse I'm talking about? Jeremiah 29, 11. To this day, I love it, right? Now, I didn't understand it, but I love it still. <laughs> you know the verse I'm talking about, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Have you ever checked the context of that verse? It's, it's difficult. Watch this. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, skipping to verse four. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent in exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, better unpack those bags. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city. Welfare could have been translated shalom. Seek the shalom. Seek the, the good health. Seek the peace of the city where I have sent you. I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its peace, you will also find your peace. In other words, y'all, do finally in Babylon what I was begging you to do before in Jerusalem. I mean, yes, there are these consequences and they are going to be difficult. You are in exile. Don't forget while you're in exile that you are still meant to be the people of God. That you are still meant to be the people putting skin and flesh on the welcome and the hospitality, we say that every week too, on the heartbeat, the call of God. This has always been the nature of the covenant. Promise companionship as the people image and embody the God of the covenant. But Israel then, and perhaps the church, capital C today, misunderstand the agreement. They thought that the covenant was about guaranteed safety and security, kind of a blank check that granted a place of superiority, or in other words, cheap grace. But they were mistaken, as are we. Are we mistaken in the same ways? Do we think that the stuff about caring for other people is extra credit? Do we think that God will not mind if it's, while we're too busy to do the really good things for the others around us, the people on the margins in particular, is God gonna be okay if we'll just be well behaved? You know, not say the dirty word. Not act ugly to the person in the Arby's drive-thru who cannot get my order right no matter how many times I say it. Is God going to be okay with us? Or maybe we go farther, we say, certainly God will be fine with us and there will be no consequences even as we absolutely disobey the parameters of the covenant. And we live isolated, insulated lives well-behaved, but still isolated or insulated. Friends, let me ask you again, this is tough. How does your life benefit a person on the margin? How does your routine benefit somebody on the margin? Do you think this is optional? John, I'm very busy. Friends, Figure out how to be busy and benefit those on the margins. That is the call of God for the people of God. Verse eight, chapter 29. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. Everything's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. We are a Christian bunch of people. God has chosen us. It's gonna be fine. We can be hateful to fill in the blank and we can just ignore fill in the blank. It's gonna be fine because God has already said something to us that sounds a lot like a promise. It sounds a lot like a guarantee. It's gonna be fine. God says to Jeremiah, tell them, don't listen to those people. It's not necessarily gonna be fine. It really matters how you live. I mean, I didn't expect an amen there, but it would have been really nice. <laughs> it says, don't even listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Ready? 
for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare, peace, and not for harm. Plans to give you a future with hope. Your Bible may say hope in a future. That's the context. <laughs> Written to a people who had been unfaithful to the call, who were now suffering the consequences of having been unfaithful to the call. Friends, this is costly grace on display. And it's not just the exiled who are paying the price. This is costly to God as well. This is costly grace. But it's grace because God says, my mind about you is made up, ready? And the news is, and you are to put skin and flesh on that good news, even in exile, while you seek the welfare of folks that you might have otherwise called your most bitter enemies. Do your enemies benefit from your existence? Do your enemies benefit because you believe in God? Do your enemies benefit because you identify yourself as a moving piece of the family of God, the people of God? Sometimes also called a kingdom of priests. Verse 12, then, when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. What do you like better, cheap grace or costly grace? I'll vote first. I like cheap grace better. It's easier. But it's not true. Costly grace is true. Jeremiah 29, 11, I don't know about you, but those words are somehow etched into my heart. But I think I am, on my worst days, one of the people who wants the hope and the future part but I tend to forget that it hinges on our answering the call to covenant faithfulness, that I would, and that you would, that we would as a body, but also as individuals, be the tangible expression of God's sacrificial love. Especially those that Judah seems to have forgotten, Israel forgotten, had forgotten. The vulnerable, those in need, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant. Friends, does your life of faith Benefit, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, your enemy. That is who God is. That is who we are to be. It is grace in that God is still committed to Israel, still committed to the same covenant, still committed to, to, committed to the promises made so long ago. God's mind about Judah even now is made up and the news is still good, but it is most certainly costly grace. The people thought that the promise was just about the kingdom and the perks, but it has always been about covenant obedience. And so now they suffer the consequences. It doesn't change the intentions of God. But now because of their disobedience, Israel has changed the timeline. They will now spend 70 years in exile, but they are challenged to make good use of the time. What a good time, says God, to go ahead and start being my people by seeking the welfare, the shalom, the peace for the people around you, even as you suffer. But doesn't that sound a lot like Romans 5? Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. About to land this plane. Walter Brueggemann says, God wants a people utterly devoted. Utterly devoted 
And he's talking about the people in exile now. And when there is such an utterly devoted people, life is made newly possible because God is the source of life. This is an assertion of the gospel. God is available in the midst of despair and will override both the despair and the circumstances which generate it. Everybody listening? Man, it's important that we listen. Because this is what happens when people don't listen. It's not that God changes God's mind about them because I hope you can hear. God has not changed at all God's mind or intention where the people of God are concerned, but the people of God have earned their exile. They have earned these consequences and consequences happen and can be understood as the judgment of God when we, the people of God, don't live up to or into our calling as the people of God. So let me ask you one more time, how's it going? Or, like me sometimes, are you the person who cherishes forgiveness without repentance? Absolution without any intention of change. Listen, if that's you, the good news is God's mind about you is still made up and the news is good but there very well could be consequences. And maybe some of you are living them now. If you are, I have more good news for you. What a great time to be God embodied. Even as you are suffering, whatever those consequences might be. And I know for some, I don't know for most. Even as you find yourself in your particular exile, what a great time to remember that you are meant to be the tangible presence of the God who aches for the other. I'll remind us, as we move to the table, I'll remind us that every week we remember and rehearse this story. Judah forgot to remember God and the heartbeat of God, the very posture of God. Each week, it is my hope and prayer that by virtue of participating around this table, we remember to remember that this story starts with grace, we are recipients of that grace, and then we are empowered then and equipped to be the tangible expression of that same grace, especially for those who need us, need God the most. So that's what this is. So if you're helping us today, please come and help us prepare this table. Heavenly Father, difficult words today. Difficult words because we know that sometimes, God, we have treated as extra credit that which you meant to have been main points, core issues. We too, perhaps like the people of Judah, have forgotten to remember that this is a movement of grace that starts with your passion and your heart. So bless these elements and with them, simple pieces of bread, simple sips from this cup. And with them, God, remind us what narrative it is that we are meant to inhabit and then embody. Remind us, God, that we are meant to be the tangible expressions of this grace that starts with you. Remind us, God, to be those tangible expressions of grace, even if we find ourselves today in something that sure feels like exile. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you, all who would like to participate, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet and exit your pew to the left, your left, and to come forward with your hands cupped and approach a person holding a plate of bread. When you get close enough to the person holding a plate of bread, that person will take a piece and press it into your open hands. That part's really important because it is grace received. And when he or she places that grace in your hands, you'll hear this, this is the body of Christ broken for you.
then take that piece of bread, don't eat it just yet, but take that piece of bread and dip it. Dip it into the cup. Someone right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person holding the cup will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then you have some decisions to make, quite literally. I hope that you will find a place to pray. If you need a prayer for healing, if you'll come to one of these side padded altars, somebody will come and pray a prayer of healing and anoint you with oil. There's nothing magical about this oil, but it will be representative of the clingy, sticky companionship of God through the Spirit that is with you. And someone will pray that prayer for healing there with you. It might be physical, mental, emotional, relational, familial. We'll pray those prayers with you at those side padded altars. Perhaps you wanna come down front to one of these altars because you no longer want to be the person who cherishes forgiveness without repentance. We won't assume anything, but at some point, somebody, probably me, will say, yep, me too and touch you on the head, back, neck, shoulder, and say, I identify, I'm trying to live through and pray through that particular posture as well. Now you can pray that same prayer right back at your seats and you're welcome to do so. I'm probably not gonna come all the way to your pew though. I won't know to. Now, if you'd like, you can make a special trip down to this bowl of water. It is just a simple little bowl of water still right now but it is meant to, as you touch it, just with your fingertips, touch it. It's meant to remind you of your calling as a member of the people of God, the moment of your baptism, when it was publicly recognized that you belong to a people with a purpose, with a calling. If you need to remember the moment of your baptism, this is a good place to do it. Now, I said it before, all are invited, none are compelled. If you'd rather sit this one out, that's totally fine but you're all invited. Well, am I qualified? Listen, if you recognize your need for grace, then you are qualified, that's all it takes. If you recognize your need for grace, then you're welcome at this table. But if you would prefer something that was more prepackaged, that's fine too. The people in the aisles who will dismiss you by row, they are carrying plates of prepackaged elements, and I will have already kind of walked us through the liturgy. As soon as you get one of those prepackaged elements, go right ahead and take it, it all works just the same. But again, no one has to come, but all are invited. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, including today, remember me. The same way he would later take the cup and hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you eat of it, drink of it, remember me. John, you all do this every single week? Yes, because it is my hope that I will and you will, that we will eat so much of this communion bread that we start to think that we're becoming the bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given. So now all across the sanctuary, if you will, as you are dismissed by row, if you'll stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God. Come as you're called. Later on, we're gonna be praying for Daniel and Betty as they prepare to launch 
the new service. And so if you guys will come down front, but also Roland and Olivia Johnson are here spending the weekend with us in the Walt Crow Center. After you have taken communion, after they have taken, we're gonna pray for them too. A prayer of encouragement and recommissioning. So they'll be down here as well. right here and as you are finishing up communion if you would like to come and surround these two couples right there it's just fine if you just want to kneel right there and Daniel and Betty right here I'm going to pray a prayer of recommissioning Roland and Olivia Johnson right here and then Dr. Tashin is going to pray for Daniel and Betty who will be launching a Spanish-speaking service next week next week and so I would like to encourage you, church, you, you may or may not know these two couples, but it's good to surround these folks and make sure that they understand that you are mediating the very tangible presence of God with your hands. So please go ahead and come down and surround these folks. Father, we are still grateful and impacted by the life of Walt Crow and grateful that somebody like Kelly Yates has seen fit to make space for pastors and their families who are tired and wounded, for pastors and families who are not only suffering the rigors of day-to-day -day ministry to a, a broken world, but are also working through some of the pain that happens in their own lives. So God, I would ask that you would give Roland and Olivia Johnson strength. God, I would ask that you would give Roland and Olivia Johnson peace. This deep sense that you are not absent. This deep sense that you are involved in the detail of life. 
this deep sense that if they can develop the eyes and the ears to hear it and then to see it, that they will discover grace that they could never have dreamt of before. Pray that you would come especially close and heal old wounds and fresh wounds. Grant them the kinds of people in their lives who will keep them encouraged, resourced with hope, friends, times of peace and laughter, optimism, and a profound understanding of your grace. And for all that will happen at their church, Texas, we will give your name the praise. Our loving, gracious God, we thank you for the work and ministry of our colleague, Pastor Daniel and Betty, work that they have done in the past and will continue to do in the future. We thank you for their love, for your kingdom, for your people. We pray for your grace, for your energizing Holy Spirit to be present with them as they embark on this new adventure. We pray for your Holy Spirit to empower them in times of challenges, in times of joy. May their spirit of love and grace be felt in the lives of people that they minister to. And they, as they face times of challenge and uh, difficulties and, uh, and circumstances that um, may come their way, may they know that you are with them. And as we place our hands on them, May they know that we love them, we support them, we pray for them, we speak an encouraging word to them. May their ministry be fruitful and be multiplied by what you are going to do through them. We pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Lisa's going to pray the prayers of our children before finally turning it over to Jason, who will close us up with the Lord's Prayer. All right. <clears throat> well, every month we get up and share some of the prayers that our kids have prayed over the last month because they are so special. They're so real and authentic. And I am blessed by those, and I want you to be blessed as well. So dear Lord, here are our prayers. Lord, I pray for my baby sister who had to go to the emergency room due to RSV, praying she gets better soon. Dear Lord, I twisted my ankle, it still hurts. I pray for healing. Jesus, I pray for my grandpa who had a stroke and is in the hospital with a blood clot. Please take good care of him. Lord Jesus, I bit my tongue while I was on the trampoline, and it really hurts. But the good news is that I landed on my backflip. Jesus, I'm really looking forward to my daddy-daughter date today. Lord, I'm really excited about Fall Fest and getting to dress up in a costume. Dear Jesus, I need your help not to be so angry. Lord, I'm looking forward to my daddy getting back from a golf trip. I really miss him when he's gone. Jesus, I'm going to be getting braces soon, and I'm nervous about it. Lord Jesus, I pray for my mom and her hot head. Jesus, I pray that my sister goes well, or does well with potty training. <laughs> Jesus, I'm praying for my daddy's friend, friend's dad, who is in the hospital with a spine issue. 
I pray that he gets help. God, I'm so thankful for my dad's new job. I hope he really enjoys it. Dear Lord, I'm so thankful for our quiz competition and our team doing so well. Lord, I'm so thankful that I got to see my dad recently and spend some time with him. Jesus, I'm so thankful for my friends and family. They mean a lot to me. And now I want to pray for our kids. Dear Lord Jesus, I love you and I praise you for the gift of life and the journey of faith. On this journey, we get to discover you and your faithful presence with us through all situations. I'm so thankful for the gift of our children and their open, honest prayers, sharing their life with you. I know that you desire real, authentic openness from us. I pray, or may that be possible through knowing your faithful, unconditional love for us. That is always there, calling us to follow you. I'm filled with thankfulness for the time spent with the junior leaders this last weekend at the junior leaders retreat. What a special time spent together, learning more about you and about ourselves and about each other and the special gifts that we are to one another. Give us eyes to see and understand the different gifts and the different ways that you've created us. And may we receive each other as a special gift. Oh Lord, I love that you are a relational God and that you've created each of us to receive and to give the gift of relationship to one another. May our children grow in their faith and their trust in your relational love that flows through us, transforming us and setting us free to live and to love like you do. Lord Jesus, I know a couple of our kids experienced the loss of a family member recently, and I just want to lift them up to you. Henley Kirkpatrick and the sudden loss of our Uncle Travis, Peter and Liam and the loss of their great-granddad. May your faithful presence be close to them. And I pray all of this in your precious and holy name. And God, we thank you for Pastor Lisa. And thank you for these kids' prayers. We thank you for the ways in which you are shaping and forming us through prayer the prayer of our kids. God, we ask you to take care of Lee Nichols as he continues to recover from his knee replacement surgery. We ask that you would care for Jared Satterley as he recovers from an ACL surgery. And God, we ask that you'd be with one of our Warden Table members and Marlene McVeigh as she recovers from her brain cancer removal of a tumor. In all of these and more, God, we ask for your loving care. And as Pastor John has led us in the word today, we ask that you would be with all on the margins, all who are lonely, all who are hurting. We ask that you be with those who are incarcerated. And God, we ask for your loving care for that person or persons in our life who need you the most. God, would you transform us into people who live out this prayer, the prayer you taught your disciples to pray, and it should be on the screen in front of you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.